When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so it's so close you can taste disappointment now as we're just two weeks away from the inevitable masculine sheet wipeout for our double Liverpool defence from a late Himapuki consolation. But in the meantime, we've got a concluding instalment of the team previews to do as we carry on from last outing's A to L to finish up with M to W. Ten more teams to look at, ten more teams worth of research done. Joining me today, of course, is young Nicholas. How are you today? Really busy at the moment, busy with work and, and life and the baby, but time enough to, to crack on. So yeah, looking forward to it. Just to say, we are Who Got The Assist. You can find us on Twitter at WGTA and Score FPL. And the website is whogottheassist.com. Lots of content on the website that we've been writing over the summer and worth checking out, including some fantastic pieces by Tom on Value and Talisman. Um, you can find us on SoundCloud and Spotify. And if you enjoy the pod, leave a positive review and make sure you hit the subscribe button. New listeners, special hello. We've done a few pods over the summer, an introduction to find out more about who we are. We've also done an unwritten rules pod as well. And Tom mentioned the A to L pod last week as well, worth listening to, though we're going to do a quick update as a few things have changed since then, of course. Uh, as always, uh, with these pods, it's worth making the caveat that we'll try to go through every team and every player of interest, of course, to every team. And we will naturally miss some players as a result. So sorry if you're the kind of person who's just an inveterate fan of Adama Traore and is upset that we haven't quite mentioned him. Uh, we're going to start the team data, of course, and go down to players. No definitive answers here, really. Just data and our objective analysis of what's going on. A lot of work's gone into it, so hopefully it's very, very useful to you. Uh, it will be a slightly longer podcast than normal, but I will edit it down. I think it's worth starting, though, with uh, since we last spoke with Arsenal, Nick, uh, the signing of Chabellos. Hopefully somebody there knows their onions, multi-layered transfer, that one. And uh, the mooted signings of Nicolas Pepe from Lille and uh, Kieran Tierney from Celtic have made Arsenal fans a bit happier. So, yeah, it's Pepe in particular. When that's confirmed, hasn't been confirmed at the time of recording, it's be very interesting, isn't it? And Chabellos got the 5.5, which could turn managers' heads during the season. Yeah, definitely. I think um, Nicolas Pepe um, definitely is one that's exciting. I mean, they're spending £72 million on a Lille winger and uh, he was prolific in, in France last season, wasn't he? Obviously, you've mentioned on Twitter that of, of the 22 goals he scored, nine of them were actually penalties. So, they're not too majorly concerning. I mean, if he's priced quite kindly and a lot of people are mooting around 9, 9.5, then I think he's definitely one to be considering in the um, Arsenal midfield. Yeah, we said last week, there are good fixtures for Arsenal coming up. Maybe... And the first two, there are a few people looking at that. But then Liverpool and Spurs in three and four aren't perhaps the best. But between game weeks five and 16, we only play Man United of the top six. Big long run of fixtures there, taking in games such as Villa at home, Palace at home, who I think are probably looking very shaky right now, and Norwich away um, in that run. So yeah, definitely uh, of interest to keep watching to see if Arsenal do come back onto the table as a consideration. Furthermore, Phil Billing may have a chance to catch Southgate's eye with his move to Bournemouth, Nick. Sure to shore up that Bournemouth defence we said last week uh, for whom defending was optional. And Everton, quite a lot going on there. So just a Garner Gay has left and he was a Wilfred Ndidi slash Ngolo Kante-esque presence for them. So it'll be interesting to see how their defensive outlook is. If he gets replaced, then I think we'll be less worried. But at the moment, that, that's, 
a fairly uh, worrying development for people who have the likes of Dean and uh, Coleman, right, Nick? Yeah, I think you have to be a little bit concerned. Um, obviously, Everton as well. Um, but yeah, in the midfield, obviously, they've secured Andre Gomez, but to lose Idrissa Gay is concerning. Maybe um, we'll see a, a revitalisation of Morgan Schneiderlin. Who knows? I think it's more actually exciting in the front line and maybe not for those that um, like the look of uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin as a 6.0 million forwards because they've been linked with uh, Moshe Keane and it looks like he potentially is signing for Everton and that's quite exciting. He's obviously a very talented young player being signed from Juventus for a lot of money. He scored six goals in 13 appearances last season. Yeah, been likened to a Lukaku sort of profile of player, so that could be very interesting. And indeed, put Guilford Sigurdsson back on the table. A few people, including myself, actually, have uh, removed him uh, from our squads, actually. But Keane signing could definitely wet the whistle a little bit for the Icelander once more. Right, let's move on to the teams then and move on to the BMOF, which is Man City. So a little bit different to how we ended the last pod on Liverpool, because Liverpool was very much like... Well, you know, you're probably going to have two defenders, probably going to be two of TAA, Robbo and BVD. You're almost definitely going to have Salah. That's your lot. Man City, in contrast, is one where people, I think, are unsure at the moment where they're going to go with their investment. So last year, they scored three goals per game at home, two goals per game away, and conceded less than one goal, both home and away, on average. 95 goals scored, five less than last year, and only 23 goals conceded, which is one fewer than Liverpool. Uh, Spurs in game week two is obviously the big header. But the issue is that three of them seem simply too expensive. And I think it boils down to who you're going to double up with for Man City. And I guess that's two questions, isn't it, Nick? What defensive cover to get, if any, and which attacker to get? I think obviously a lot of people are tripling up on Liverpool. And I, I guess that makes sense. But to, to try and triple up on Liverpool and Manchester City does cripple your team to a certain extent, even if you try and go for some of the, the more budget options within the team. Starting with the defence and in goal, there's Edison. You mentioned the clean sheets last season, Alisson getting one more clean sheet. But it was, it was pretty tight between the two of them in terms of sort of golden glove and, you know, the, the top scorer in FPL as well in that goalkeeper category. Edison, for me, I, I prefer him to Alisson as a premium goalkeeper option. And it's not really to do with a comparison between the two players, but it's to do with what the Liverpool defenders can offer me compared to the Manchester City defenders. And when you look at Zinchenko and Walker and you compare them to Trent and Robertson, it's not really a, a fair battle, is it, in terms of what they offer? I think the, the Manchester defenders, if they're in the Liverpool team, would be absolute benchless compared to the uh, the other guys. In terms of that City defence, though, I, I think it is logical to be considering at least covering them. They conceded the fewer shots in the box and on target last season of any club. Simply put, if the opponent doesn't have the ball, they can't score. A 68% average possession City got. And amazingly, that was the same amount both home and away. And in my value work, it actually uncovered that that defence was the quietly efficient and uh, valuable area. Edison was actually the most valuable player at Manchester last season. Incredible number on him. 49% of all the games he's appeared in for Man City, that's first six out of 74 games, have ended in a clean sheet in the Premier League. He doesn't make that many saves. He made 58 saves uh, each season. But he's there for the clean sheet points. And you've got basically a one in two chance of getting a clean sheet if you've got Edison in goal for you, which is an absolutely mental number. And as you said, with Alisson you know, taking up Liverpool spot, Edison really does look like the steady Eddie, solid premium pick at 6 million to be getting in. I guess, though, a lot of people are looking a little bit further forward than Edison because of the likes of Pope and the likes of Ryan perhaps playing a role for people. I've seen a lot of teams, for example, including mine with Zinchenko in it, but you mentioned Walker a minute ago, who we'll come on to. But Zinchenko in it, because he in your team? 
I think at the moment he is in my team. He's the sort of the 5.5 million pound option in that defence. He's cheaper than Walker. He's cheaper than Laporte. And at the moment, he does seem like the first choice fullback. I think Angelino certainly looks like the backup option currently. Um, I'm more concerned about sort of the threat of Benjamin Mendy. Mendy's recently had knee surgery, but when he is back, is that potentially another transfer waiting to happen? I'm, I'm not sure. Zinchenko's probably safe for now. I think in terms of underlying stats, he costs you 5.5 million, but he doesn't give you too much shit going forward. He created a chance every 96 minutes and had um, a shot every 164.7 minutes, which is pretty average for a defender. So he didn't really offer too much going forward. He might pick you up the occasional assist, but he's probably in your team sort of the cheapest way of covering that Manchester City clean sheet, to be honest, when it happens. Yeah, certainly. I think he got 89 points or something like that last season if you add on the extra nine times five for those uh, clean sheets who points he was due. Now, I'd look at him compared to Walker on the opposite flank um, on a per-game basis to make it fair for Zinchenko. And he actually had a better XGI than Walker and a better chance creation rate. And his heat map was much more advanced than Walker's was. And he had about a third more touches in the final third than Walker did. So there might be something there. I think it's the 1.0 saving over the most expensive defender of the port and the 0.5 million saving on Edison, who may have a better alternative in the likes of Pope. Uh, that make him look really viable like we know that there's a risk there but it might be a risk worth taking to get to that extra 0.5 or something like that like obviously you'll need a Dion Donker or something with him to come off the bench but I think that we've all failed in the past trying to read Pep's mind haven't we uh, but he seems to be in a circle of trust and uh, I, I think that that's probably to his credit uh, as we start the season I'm aware that there's lots of options there with Angelino and Mendy and if we back to the start of last season, Mendy got uh, five assists in the first four games. So we know what he's capable of. It's just that it just looks like the mini KDB is the guy who's going to be starting the season. Is it worth kind of thinking about Laporte and Walker though, Nick, the, the more expensive options? Yeah, I think it is worth considering if if you're willing to sort of invest a little bit more in your defence, you just want that security. I think Walker's probably the ultimate safe pick. He's sort of very much sort of classic Nick pick, as we said previously, is sort of a former football friend of mine. And when he was at Spurs, though, he's no longer my effing friend. I mean, at six million, you sit in there, he accrues you points, doesn't he? He may even get you an attack in return, though he only actually contributed directly to two of 95 Manchester City goals last season. So it's, it's quite rare that Walker gets attacking returns. But still, if you want to keep Walker and you want to have a safe pick in your defence, you're going to have someone who's going to end up finishing the top 10 defenders overall. And he can, he can just sit there all season, sort of accrue your points. So if you, perhaps a really good pick for the Zombies, actually, Carl Walker. Not especially exciting. For me, Laporte, perhaps um, sort of the more dynamic pick. But of course, he's got that premium tag of 6.5 million. It was only 5.5 million last season, unbelievably. But he made that defensive start his and, and contributed considerably to the City cause, most noticeably in the um, in the double game weeks. So I think I owned him for all three and he smashed it for me compared to other Manchester City players who did very poorly, who we won't name. But for all the excitement of the um, Liverpool defenders, Laporte actually wasn't that far behind them in terms of the performance. With three goals, three assists and um, 18 clean sheets, that was 24 returns. He actually only finished eight points behind uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold in the end paying that extra premium 0.5 on Walker for extra solidity of start so he started 17 of the final 18 games of the port and he missed one Walker in contrast missed four so he may need the Ondonka between the two of them it's not really much shout on about really um, in terms of going forward so in stark contrast to the premium Liverpool players 
4.41 XGI for Laporte, uh, a paltry uh, three for Walker, which isn't very good at all. Walker actually has regressed in terms of attacking returns over the course of the last few years. So one goal, one assist last season. The year before, he got six assists and was in the top four for XGI. He's really quite defensive now, Walker. He only played 10 minutes more in 2017 and last season. But his XA has actually halved. He's had fewer final third touches and he's had fewer chances created than he did in the past. So he seems to run his pace and the overload that Pep loves seems to be going down the left now rather than the right. And Walker's just basically a defensive fullback at the moment. Links to Cancelo and Semedo may mean that you may want to pay the extra 0.5 to get to the port if you're a desperate for City defender. But if you're there, you might as well pay for Edison to get the six points because, as we mentioned, the SGI isn't that great. So I guess if you're looking at the system defence, Nick, I think it might just be a case of Jinchenko for budget reasons, effectively, if we're just saying, well, their attacking returns aren't particularly enticing. So we might as well just have a person covering. So that might as well be the person who seems cheapest, most likely to start early doors. I feel like he definitely is the best budget option in that Manchester City defence. And yeah, it does free up a little bit of extra cash just to sort of invest in some of your midfielders and, and elsewhere within the team. Cool. All right. Uh, let's advance to the midfield then. So there's likes of Rodri, likes of Hunderham, likes of Dilver that we're probably not going to talk about um, in the interest of time. But Dilver's worth meditating on quickly. 8.0. We loved him last year, early doors, didn't we? He's just a good solid 8.0, basically, looking at all the stats. I mean, he shouldn't be your main city player, but he's a great complement to Araz or another in my book. Last year, his XGI was 15. He was involved in 14 goals. He got 154 points from seven goals and eight assists, which is bang on what you'd expect from an 8.0. Year on year, it's worth noting he has improved. In comparison to someone like Siggy, who has a very similar skill set with, doesn't have the dead balls, uh, Siggy is just that little bit better across the board. In comparison to Richardson, who's also at the same price point, Richardson takes a few more shots, but Bilber has a better involvement ratio. I still struggle to get excited about Bilber. I prefer a, uh, an Everton asset or to get someone cheaper in rather than spending the 8.0 there or if I can reach up to De Bruyne I think with Bilva obviously I, I chastised you a little bit last season saying why are you looking at him he's a rotation risk and then um, he ended up actually playing the second most outfield minutes out of all the Manchester City uh, players playing 2,849 minutes second only to the port with uh, 3,056 so he was a real sort of integral member of that Manchester City midfield and definitely within that sort of pet circle of trust as you've described it and yeah, he has, has improved on the previous season. I mean, seven goals and eight assists, pretty decent returns. But yeah, he is, he's 8.0 and, you know, he's, he's worth that 8.0, but he's not worth any more than that 8.0, I think. Yeah, there's still that threat of lots of Leroy Sane and Riyad Mahrez benchwarming each week, isn't there? From a midfielder perspective, he was sort of second in terms of the goal attempts with 62, um, only 15 less than Raheem Sterling, um, 44 of which are inside the box. So he, he did get plenty of chances. He only scored the, the seven goals compared to um, the likes of Leroy Sane, who, who got 10. He wasn't perhaps the most prolific of goal scorers in the team and uh, definitely a sort of a, a budget way of sort of covering the Manchester City attack, perhaps. Yeah, I don't think he'd be your only one, though. I think um, it's worth looking at him in the context of their run from game week 3 to 11, when they don't play any of the uh, top six sides, and you may want to triple on Man City for that. So maybe one to look at for your two free transfers if he starts the season well. Uh, you mentioned uh, Sane, you mentioned Mares. Um, obviously, our friend James at Planet FPL, very pro Sane if it looks like he's in the team, but who knows if he's going to go to Bayern at this point. His PPG last year would have seen him score over 300 points, so yeah, pretty damn good. Mares as well, who knows? There was absolutely 
absolute heroics at Leicester, followed by bit part performances and cameos galore, despite being the record signing. I think Rodri's now the record signing, actually. And, you know, Sane leaves, if they replace him, you know, if Foden fits in, it's quite difficult to see. But I think one man who will be a constant is Kevin De Bruyne. Last season, he was obviously Crocs, um, but the season before, he scored 209 points from 26 goal involvements. That's eight goals, 18 assists. And the year before that, 199 goals from 27 goal involvements, six goals and 21 assists. A fit KDB ballot reckoning has about 25% goal involvement for City. And City are scoring goals by the bucket load. He's likely to be a key part of it. He says in the media recently, quote, what happened last year happens to everybody. I've been a professional for 11 years now and have one season where I've had some injuries. But by the end of the year, I still play first two games. I just got on with it. Now I feel good. I'm happy. I could play a whole preseason. So it looks like he's ready to go. He's kind of like the premium Barkley or Techers from the last Podnik in that we're talking about one hell of a player who's perhaps a falling star to some extent because of a poor season last year. But the stats in the past is fantastic. It was top of chances created in 2017-18. Um, created a ludicrous 24 big chances in 2016-17. He's 2.5 million cheaper than Sterling. A lot of players are looking to him to be their city cover if they want to fit in someone like Kane. Yeah, definitely. I think KDB is actually sort of a fantastic pick in FPL. And I, I think he has the potential to have a, a really good season this year. I think sort of comparing him to sort of the likes of Barkley and Benteke, he's a little bit offensive to KDB. I mean, he obviously didn't play much last season. It was mostly um, due to due to injury. He, he was absolutely brilliant the season before last. There's no point really looking at his stats from last year because he was so crocked. But yeah, the season before, he created 105 chances, 19 that big. And that was actually 22 more than the highest um, midfielder this campaign, Madison. 9.5 million definitely needs to be considered. And as you said, he's had a pretty decent pre-season. He's had um, sort of three assists, goals for his name. Um, definitely looks like he, he's ready and raring to go. His currency is assists, of course. So in some ways, you'd be questioning whether he's captainable. Another string to his bow is bonus. Uh, he got 25 in 2017-18 and a massive 33 16-17. So he's not going to score as much. He might get you with your goal every now and again. He gets about seven goals per year. Uh, but he will get you assists. And then you've got the pass completion and things like that, which all push the bonus. So 10 to 11 pointers may be the norm for KDB if City are doing very well and he's at the centre of everything. You know, a couple of assists, a couple of bonus, which he's more than likely in the fight for every week. Plus a kidney, plus appearance. And yeah, that's pretty decent. He's a nice floor player, isn't he? And I guess if you're not captaining a City player, between games one, two and three and have, say, you know, Salah and Kane, then maybe there's an argument to start with Super Kev. It's just where he starts. Is he going to be the quarterback again? He's just not as captainable, perhaps, as Sterling and Kuhn. But he's personally my favourite player to watch. He's probably going to be a cover sort of pick, but he's never really going to be a captain pick in that way. If I could afford him to have him in my team, and he has um, also been in a number of my drafts. However, I think for me at the moment, I just can't look past Raheem Sterling. He's 12 million this season, so he's, he's very expensive. He, he does take a huge chunk of your budget, but just over the course of the previous two seasons, he, he has been brilliant. Last campaign was just another fantastic one for him with sort of 17 goals and 15 assists. I mean, the year before, he got 18 goals and 17 assists. He definitely looks like a, a real integral member of that Manchester City squad. Uh, I can't go without him. Unlike KDB, he's, he's definitely um, captainable. Last year, he was eclipsed by 
people being knee deep in Kun. But I think this year people have definitely reassessed Sterling. A nice little number on him. He's uh, really improved his finishing, which is quite interesting. He's uh, pretty clinical now. So he had a lower volume of shots last year, but the accuracy has gone up from 39% to 49%, which has led to a, si- a slight rise in XG from shots on target. The only thing to keep an eye on, I guess, is Pepper said that he may start up front in the Charity Shield um, because Kun has just come back uh, from having a break after internationals. But I'd be guessing that he'll be back to his uh, favoured wide role for game week one. Um, I think that, you know, just depends how much you rate Raheem Sterling over the likes of Kane. Uh, some people will go Kevin De Bruyne as the Riker and buying Kane um, and others like myself and you, I think will be favouring Sterling. I really, really like him and he's scoring for fun in preseason as well, admittedly against the likes of Kitchy, but still uh, definitely in my team. And I, I think I'm backing him for another big season. The final man to talk about is Kun Aguero, unless the Jamie Jackson wet dream of Jesus starting does actually happen more often. It could happen this year, you never know. But 21 goals, 11 assists and 201 points for Kun Aguero last season and monstrous data. A chance of 21 minutes, he was second for shots, shots in the box uh, amongst strikers and second for XGI amongst strikers. He was just a consistently damn good asset in FPL. And there's that old adage that a fit Aguero is an auto-include. A killer stat for Kun Aguero, Nick. He had an XGI of 0.5 per game. Uh, that's better than most Salah from open play. The Egyptian King got 0.4. He is one of those players who's just a very, very safe pick. And I, I know he's not featuring in that many kind of engaged manager squads at the moment, but for obvious reasons, we don't know if he's going to be fit for game week one. But there is a definite case for Kun Aguero. If you're unlike these Caps and City playing game weeks one and two and you just need cover, it doesn't matter which premium you pick. It gives you a premium striker spot covered. Kane and Albers of this world can be accessed from owning Kun. You can hedge against the herd as well. So if people go towards Raheem Sterling, Kun could be a nice little differential or the other way around. Probably going to be sticking with Raheem Sterling though, but that XG number is pretty cool. And I think that that, that just shows the quality of player that, that's on the line. It's just whether and uh, now he is aging even further, uh, whether it will finally be the year that Jesus steps up. I don't know about that. For me, it's still all about Sergio Aguero when it comes to the Manchester City attack. He has just been so prolific over the course of the last six or seven years he's been at Manchester City. That's now sort of five campaigns in a row where he scored more than 20 goals with only Thierry Henry has matched. I think we found out the fancy football scout quiz that he's now in sort of top five FPL players who have ever scored the most points, having knocked out Steven Gerrard by one point at the end of the season last year, which is a quite an interesting stat. I mean, obviously there's a little bit of concern. There's um, sort of a pick at the beginning of the season, what with the Copa America over the summer and him missing out on pre-season whether he starts in game week one. Uh, we don't necessarily know. It might be the Sterling case to false nine. That's perhaps why he's he's being overlooked at the moment in terms of the FPL teams. But when he's fit, when he's ready, when he's firing, he, he's definitely one of the best picks out there. One thing that does stick out is that 15 of his 21 goals came at home last year. Game week four, Brighton at home. Um, that's probably the first time I'm going to be seriously considering Conaguero in my team. So maybe a kind of a wild card target. And there's a few home games around there, um, such as you know, home against Watford in game week six and Villa in game week 10, where I'd be wanting maybe Aguero to be my captain. But I think early doors is, is probably going to be as Raz Sterling for me in the midfield or as the attacking cover and Zinchenko as a defensive cover. And I'm guessing that might be around that for most people. Cool. All right. Uh, shall we move on to the Red Devils then, the other side of, uh, of Manchester slash Salford and uh, Manchester United. So Manchester United, uh, according to a BBC report recently, are making a younger, more hungry squad uh, as OGS 
seeks to reshape things, which has seen the likes of Antonio Valencia left on a free transfer. Last season, they weren't very good. They were the big fallers in the talisman data. Uh, when we looked at all the teams, they scored a massive 468 less points in FPL than did the season before, which saw them fall to eighth overall behind Crystal Palace. And they had a lacklustre start, a strong middle peak and a lacklustre end. They had a bell curve of the season, basically. 65 goals scored, 45 conceded, and 27 of those were scored between game weeks 15 and 25, which means that 40% of their goals were scored during that initial Ole bounce. 65 goals, though, it doesn't sound like many. And United haven't scored over 70 goals in the season for quite a while. Nick, when was the last time Man United scored over 70 goals in the season? Was it the season that they won the league with Robin van Persie? Yeah, it was. 2012-2013 when they topped the charts with 86. Sir Alex Ferguson was in charge then. So it's been seven years since Manchester United scored over 70 goals in the Premier League. In contrast, Mighty Marston have only failed at 70 twice in, in those years. And last year as well, only seven clean sheets. Seven, which is abysmal. Equal to the likes of Watford, Bryson and Southampton. Only two more than Huddersfield managed. Going down to the players, Nick, can we be considering you know, De Gea? Well, he didn't have the best of seasons um, last season, obviously, much like the rest of the Manchester United team. Sort of seven clean sheets was 11 less than he managed the season before. But um, it'll be a little bit of consolation, very little perhaps for him personally, but for Manchester United fans interested in De Gea, he actually made more saves than he did in the previous season. And this was his sort of record um, number of saves that he made in, in that season, which um, is surprising, actually. Um, so he made... Uh, 123 saves, which was eight more than he did in 2017-18. That was the fourth highest for all goalkeepers, which um, sort of perhaps a, a quite a decent statement for De Gea. It's less complimentary about the state of the United defence, though. I think obviously signing Aaron Wan-Bissaka is quite exciting. We'll talk about him in a second. But if they can also secure Harry Maguire, then um, I think defensively they'll be looking quite strong, to be honest. And De Gea could come back as an option. So, so 5.5 million. Pound goalkeeper, slightly cheaper than the likes of Allison and Edson, sort of fit nicely in our squads as a sort of nailed on um, goalkeeper that gets you plenty of saves and, and maybe a few clean sheets next season. Last season, it was a bit of an aberration, as you mentioned. It was his lowest points total ever, that 120, despite playing every minute. And he got a minus 3.3 expected goals stopped, which means that he let in three goals more than he should have. Far cry from the year before when he stopped 10 more than he should have. So, yeah, quite an interesting contrast, really, there. You mentioned Juan Bissaka, and we mentioned on the Crystal Palace part of the last pod just how good he was at tackling. And actually, from moving, I was surprised to see that he was the second most valuable United player, even at 5.5 million. Three assists last season, didn't create very much. Uh, decent kind of uh, defensive stats, though. And maybe you'll be thinking that would contribute to more clean sheets and more points for him. Um, you've got Shaw there, you've got maybe Maguire coming. Shaw created 33 chances last season. But in terms of those defenders, I think we've kind of, apart from Aaron Wan-Bissaka and maybe Maguire, just sat them off for the time being, right? I, I just can't really see much interest there. I'd be looking at the Manchester United defence just this moment. I mean, obviously, they've got sort of a mixed bag of fixtures starting up with that sort of tough game at Chelsea at home, and there are certainly other teams that I would consider ahead of Manchester United. But I think AWB definitely will shore up the defence. As I said on the last probably one more tackles than any other player last season, winning 130 out of 140, which was a 92.9% um, success ratio. He's also actually top for interceptions amongst defenders with 84. Um, and that made him a bonus hog with sort of 18 bonuses won over the course of the season. Sure, obviously, is another um, asset, perhaps a bit more attacking than AWB, you could say, but fantastic stats that um, 
Manga and Sol Bamber were amongst more than 30 defenders that scored higher than a Manchester United defender last season. Which yeah, terrible, really. I think they've regressed to a situational pick, United. Of the first six, though, only Chelsea looked tough. However, that game week 10 to 15 run, Norwich, Bournemouth, Brighton, Sheffield United and Aston Villa is probably a time to be kind of focusing on them for. Moving forward to the midfield, I think Anthony Martial could be of great interest this year. Uh, 7.5 million and all the overperformance, boo-ha-ha from last year aside. He scored 10 goals and got four assists last season, 122 points. And that 7.5 million could be amazing value if he ends up being United's number nine, as some people have mooted. So I've mooted that maybe Rashford plays wide and Martial plays through the middle. Uh, one good start on Martial is that his shot accuracy is very, very good. 59% shot accuracy last year meant he had the highest accuracy of any uh, midfielder who'd played over 1,500 minutes. His XGI wasn't amazing, though. Um, there's only 10, he overshot that by two. However, he's one to keep an eye on, perhaps. I think we've been waiting for sort of Martial to have his breakthrough season where he's absolutely smashed it for a long time. And it, it just never seems to have happened for him. He sort of scored 10 goals this campaign, which is one less than his record, which was in his sort of debut season. Yeah, I, I don't know about Martial. I think um, he was a bit of a rotation risk as well, obviously, last season. If he if he's nailed on and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer sort of likes him in that number nine slot, then he's definitely worth considering. I think he's sort of definitely one of those players that's sort of like a, a wait and see. Obviously, um, you know, you've got some of the uh, young lads coming through, um, you know, like sort of Lingard and, and, and the new signing, Daniel James. Um, I think he's actually a really interesting pick at sort of six point naught. You know, um, you, you wrote a prospect into prospects on him um, with sort of four goals and nine assists um, in the championship. It wasn't sort of, a, you know, ultra prolific stats, but he's a really pacey player. Definitely got a, a lot of potential and, and definitely one to watch if he can sort of nail down one of these sort of starting bursts on the, on the, on the Manchester United wing. So obviously, um, a bit of a rough diamond at the moment, but certainly has the potential, has been vaunted as being the heir to gigs at Manchester United, probably because he's Welsh. But, but we'll see what happens there. It seems to have great potential and is highly forced off by the United set-up. Elsewhere on that midfield, Bruno Fernandes, um, there's uh, whisperings that he may be coming in to join. But Paul Pogba, uh, perhaps, is the one to, to mention quickly. Uh, we don't know if he's going to stay. 8.5 million, just higher than Siggy. He was fourth for XGI last year amongst midfielders, not far off has, just 0.3 separated them. And that was about right. Um, so he got 22 uh, goal involvements, uh, 13 goals and 10 assists. Uh, sorry, 23 goal involvements, uh, 13 goals, 10 assists, 179 points. Dropped off at the end of the season. It was only really a pair of penalties that did the job for him to keep him valid. Uh, sort of concern when he got those versus West Ham. All down to the eye, I think, perhaps with uh, Pogba more than any other player. Like He has the quality, undoubtedly. But does he have the mindset, really? And speaking of mindset, there's one significant falling star in that midfield, isn't there? In the husk of a player, uh, Alexis Sanchez. Sanchez uh, had one of those seasons where he just felt like killing a fish on a boat. But a bit of surprise, actually. I thought, you know, he's going to be expensive again. He's going to be a player that you're just going to ignore. You're not going to be interested in because he's going to be ridiculously pricey and do nothing. But when I saw his price at 7.0, I was like, wow, Sanchez, you know. Trepiel definitely got us thinking when uh, when they priced him at 7.0. You know, I don't think I've ever seen a sort of a falling star with such a 
dramatic fall in price, which is about 3.5 million in total compared to his price at the start of um, last season. Yeah, and when we talk about the falling stars, it was only literally back in um, sort of 2016-17 uh, when he got 24 goals and 11 assists, uh, accruing 264 points in total. You'd like to think that he's still got a little potential to perform at the highest level. And, um, and he also had a pretty decent campaign for Chile in the, in the Copa America, actually, as well. And a lot of people uh, were talking him up. Unfortunately, he did get injured. So um, <laughs> whether, he's, whether he's fit at the beginning of the season, we, we don't know at this moment in time. Um, moving forward then, uh, Kaku looks like he's off. We don't know whether it's going to be Inter. I don't know if it's going to be Juventus. A mooted links with a swap deal with Dybala, which will be an interesting one if that comes off. Dybala's an awesome player, but we'll come on to that if that actually happens. Who knows? So speaking about the forward that we really care about, uh, 4.5, Mason Greenwood. <laughs> he's of great interest to all of us. He scored in pre-season, Nick. He scored a goal. We did a goal. Potential to play. Um, we don't really care about that. But what is really interesting is that he's 4.5. And, you know, the likes of Lingard, they're going to be hoping to follow his example and uh, try to get that kind of breakthrough into the first team, aren't they, this season? Because from an FPL perspective, a player who may get one or two points in that forward slot at 4.5, a traditional absolute dead zone, is, is very, very exciting, isn't it? In an incredibly sad, niche way. Manchester United fans have been talking him up heavily for the last couple of seasons. I think definitely exciting. And if he can have a breakthrough season, that would be just absolutely brilliant for us. FPL managers, he's, he's there on my bench right now, ready for action, ready for the call-up. But I think at the moment, um, he's probably going to be playing second fiddle to, to Marcus Rashford, another player that you know the likes of Lingard's obviously learning a lot from in terms of you know how to you know, behaviour and, and performance as a sort of a great mould for the younger players, Rashford. So 8.5, you know, he's pretty decent price, I guess, for what he offers. He's sort of got 10 goals last season, which um, his best campaign so far, from 84 attempts, which was the seventh highest for strikers. So I think definitely one to, to keep an eye on, perhaps not one for our first drafts, but another player that we'll be watching. So I feel like Manchester United, a lot of watching and waiting, to be honest, isn't it? We're not looking at them right now. We're, we're still kind of in the doldrums thinking about how they performed last season. But if they can improve on last season and start stepping up, then we'll start looking at some of these players who are relatively reasonably priced. Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, just to finish off on Rashford, uh, obviously he's benefited from a huge contract now. 128 points it was last season. I think that kind of works out about 180 points um, over the course of the season if he played, um, carried on the rate he was uh, he was playing at I think he played about 2,300 minutes something like that which is the most ever 8.5 looks an okay price not great value but an okay price and from that kind of game week 10 to 15 run across November and December it may be the time then to buy Rashford and 8.5 that's quite kindly and an easily reachable price maybe would have gone down in value by then who knows and before anyone writes in we obviously know that Lingard is apparently 26 years old let's take a break there after going through the Manchester clubs Nick move on to Newcastle just after this who got the assist who got the assist right we're back and it's time to talk about newcastle then a uh, rafa out bruce in there may be another case of throw the data out the window there's a new manager in town uh, forced two goals scored 48 conceded 11 clean sheets slap bang in the middle of the table for basically everything testament to rafa really looking at the squad list and the, the standard of players <laughs> that seems to be in front of us i had a look at what happened at shepherd wednesday under bruce and basically he went there and made them a little bit tougher to beat it seems they went 11 games unbeaten when he came in shepherd wednesday and only lost three of the last 
18 games on the final stretch in the championship season. So it just goes to show that maybe he'll be able to enact some uh, some sort of positive change there. But the worry is that it's an already fairly defensive team and they've lost uh, Jose Perez, they've lost Solomon Rondon. And they'll have to kind of rebuild that attack from scratch. I mean, obviously there's Joe Linton, who we mentioned in a little while, who's come in. But we'll really need to see how it works out there. And, you know, you've got the likes of Dubravka, Lascelles, Yedlin. I think you said you had something to say on Shah, though. Uh, not not much to say on Shah, to be <laughs> honest. I think, yeah, just talking about Newcastle is obviously another tough summer for them, hasn't it? Losing sort of Rafa and, um, and now having Steve Bruce at the helm, uh, much to their, their chagrin. But, yeah, I mean... I think defensively, I think there's still a few assets that are worth, you know, talking about, even if you're not going to consider them. I think um, from Newcastle, they always seem to have these sort of terrible starts to the season, don't they, in terms of fixtures? And it's the same again this year. So Arsenal, Norwich, Spurs, Watford, Liverpool is just a horrible run. But actually from game week 10 to 18, they've got a pretty decent fixture around. They only play City at home out of the top six sides. There might be a few options perhaps to present themselves. And before we go on to Matt Ritchie, um, yeah, we'll talk about Fabian Share. I think he definitely did... Um, Impress actually in the heart of that sort of Newcastle defence last year, and he looks pretty solid in terms of his performances. He did manage actually four goals and one assist, which is pretty sort of decent returns from a defender in terms of attack. That was from 25 goal attempts, which is quite near the top. He definitely um, looks good in terms of his performances, at least. Alongside him, you've got the cells, 4.5 million. The one that perhaps worth talking about is Matt Ritchie, um, sort of the 5.5 billion defender. Not only has he had a price fall, but he's had a position change, uh, which makes him really decent. And he was already um, one of the Newcastle, not the Newcastle talisman, I think he was second in terms of sort of the uh, Newcastle talismans from last year. And now he, with those extra points, it, it takes his um, total right up there to sort of around 140, which is alongside the likes of Patrick Van Anholt. Not a bad uh, situation for Richie to be in. And he was second for crosses out of all players last season with 259 and created 60 chances. Only Ryan Fraser had more crosses than Richie. So I'm looking at the problem, obviously, with Richie as he plays for Newcastle. This is probably the only defender who's on penalties, as far as I know. Um, and basically a Siggy Light, as I said back in the day on Prospects and the Prospects, on the fancy Yamaha. Ryan gave him four stars for some reason. Oh, my. <laughs> he got an XGI last year of 8.85, and he was involved, as Nick said, in two goals and eight assists. So it's probably about right. He was one over. That would have been top for defenders in terms of XGI. A little bit more than Doc, who got 8.56, and a little bit more than Trent, who got 8.16. Uh, but Trent, obviously, had less minutes than Richie did. However, you know, those numbers aren't that bad. And um, as Nick mentioned, if the fixtures are good, he could be one to keep an eye on, especially as we're probably going to be seeing a bit of a price fall from the beginning. Maybe you could be able to pick him up at you know, 5.2, 5.3 by game week 10. That could be pretty decent. We do think there's going to be an early VAR wobble and there's going to be a few more penalties than normal. We do have a defender on penalties here. So if you are constructing a team, maybe a zombie team, which has got an emphasis on penalty takers, he could be def- worth you looking at, I guess. Moving forward in the midfield, not very much. Proto Voldemort, uh, John Joe Shelby, who I once met in Brentwood Fish Bar. Mm, mm-hmm. Probably not. War Miggy, Almiron, 6.0. Showed some flashes last year, but got injured. No real stats, really. An SGI of just 2.22. No one really of interest there. Which leads us to Joseph K. Linton, uh, otherwise known as Joe Linton. Brazilian who's been brought in from Hoffenheim. Uh, seven goals and five assists last season. Uh, we're indebted to F-Chef here for sharing some Y-Scout data. Kind of scored at what we'd have expected him to, looking at his stats. 
minutes, 56 shots, 30 in the box, Hoffenheim. All of his goals came from inside the box and uh, a decent number of pen box touches as well. It's kind of a Danny Ing slash Chris Wood level of shooting. A 6.0, it's a little bit like Wesley. One to keep an eye on, I guess, uh, with, with Joe Linton. But the kind of concern may be that he hasn't developed as far as we'd have expected given his age. Not too much to say here with your Newcastle, is there, Nick? A club that you can happily kind of ignore for the whole season and probably have no impact on your season through ignoring them. Not um, especially excited about the assets that are on offer. I think Almiron is six, six million. He hasn't done much in the Premier League as of yet, but he's pretty um, hot in the MLS. Um, got linked with the likes of Real Madrid uh, whilst he's playing there, and also um, impressed uh, for Paraguay during the Copa America. Apparently, he played really well during that. Shelby, as you mentioned, the five million um, looks like sort of a cut price fifth midfielder, perhaps. Um, we forget back in 13-14, Shelby actually managed six goals and seven assists. So as long as he doesn't headbutt anyone, he could be perhaps a, a decent budget midfielder to sort of sit on the bench. And then also, if you want to save an extra 0.5 million, you've got Hayden, Isaac Hayden. So another nailed 4.5 million option, got one goal and four assists last season. Sort of like if you're not going to sort of the 4.5 million pick du jour, which is Endonka, then Isaac Hayden perhaps offers an alternative. And yeah, as you mentioned, Joel Linton. Uh, it's cost uh, Newcastle 40 million. That's a ridiculous amount of money that Mike Ashley has spent on this guy. It'll be interesting to see how he gets on next year and if he can prove an FPL asset of £6 million. Right, OK, let's uh, leave the team behind and move on to a pair of newly promoted clubs. Um, j- just to say, it's a little bit different, these guys. Um, as with Villa, we try to do as much as work as possible to make sure we represent these as well as we can. Obviously, we don't have last year's data in terms of the Premier League. Uh, thanks again to Adam Hopcroft, by the way, for answering the Villa questions I had for last time. You don't want to be saying, oh, sorry, uh, to fans when they point out, oh, that guy actually plays on the left, Tom. Uh, you're an idiot. Why did you say he was played on the right? Things like that. So to start off with Norwich, then, uh, Fark's on a horse, it seems, uh, their manager, Daniel Fark. And uh, it's a horse of principle, Nick. He said, we won't lose our path. We won't lose our belief. Focus on attacking football with an emphasis on creative and technical midfielders. FPL Badger on Planet FPL's brilliant 30 and 30 series said that at the start of last season, actually, things were a little bit uncertain. You know, players they never heard of were coming in. But the performance was unbelievable to win the championship by so far. And comparisons have been made in club size to clubs like Bournemouth and Burnley, who who tend to punch above their weight quite a lot. Not too bad in terms of performance, uh, an average of 2.22 2.22 goals scored at home so they do go for it at Carrow Road and they're actually a bit tighter actually away from home than they are actually at home 93 goals scored and 57 conceded basically the ethos seems to be that we'll score more than you which is going to be a, an interesting one to see how that goes in the Premier League in FPL Connect's article by the Canaries correspondent Jess it's the 4 3 one for them with very technical sort of midfielders being what made the difference so kind of like a Swansea-esque passing their way through the championship very much a wait and watch and decently priced players but we'll have to see how the Farking football will do uh, before we look to buy one in. We've got Tim Krull, perennial former Newcastle favourite and penalty saving specialist from the World Cup a few years ago. Remember he was brought on by from by Van Hal for Celestin. You've got Jamal Lowe, you've got the centre-backs, but you're a big fan of uh, Max Ahrens, weren't you, Nick, who appears to be staying at the club? did a prospect into prospects on Aaron's uh, the website and uh, yeah I mean I, I was watching a little bit of championship football not too much um, last season and I was quite impressed um, whenever I saw him 
on the ball, he was sort of such an attacking fullback and, 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 you know, creating a lot of threat. He was a lot of danger in terms of attacks going forward. And he was also um, links with Spurs, which um, I was very interested in as well. But yeah, it looks like he's staying at Norwich and going to be supporting them in, the, in their quest for sort of survival. I think with the Norwich defence is a little bit concerning that there's sort of lack of clean sheets. Let's try and score more than you. Worked very well in the Championship, but I don't know how well it's going to work um, when you're up against the sides in the top six um, if you try and play free-flowing, expansive football against those sort of guys. Certainly got a very stern test at the beginning of the season, haven't they, on the Friday against Liverpool. But with Aaron's, he was some, sort of the most attacking of all the Norwich defenders. Definitely the one to consider. Um, it's sort of typical FBL... Um, sort of standardised sort of behaviour to give one of the defenders at each promoted club the 5.0 million, the most attacking of them all. But um, they were generous with Aaron's, gave him the 4.5 million, which um, for me makes him the, the best value pick in that Norwich defence if you're going to go for anyone. He did get two goals and six assists last season, so he, he did get some attacking returns. But it much depends on how Norwich get on in the Premier League. As I said, they did concede a lot of goals and only managed 12 clean sheet over the course of the season last year. Yeah, certainly. I don't think I'm going to be uh, looking towards them, especially with that game with one fixture against Liverpool. I just don't think it's going to be something that I'm going to be investing in. Moving on to the midfield then, there's quite a few uh, midfielders milling about you know, around the 5.5 to 6.5 million price range. You've got Onel Hernandez, scored eight goals and nine assists last season. Marco Schieperman, one of those uh, players that no one never heard of, uh, nine goals and six assists last season as well in the championship. The one price I look at and think, I don't know, mate, that's a bit dodgy, is Vrancic, 10 goals and seven assists last season. But he didn't start very much last year. He only got 14 starts, 22 off the bench. A really bizarre pricing that. I don't know what they were thinking. Uh, the one I did have a look at was Buendia. Got eight goals and 12 assists last year, and I calculated in my protection prospects he'd have got 168 points uh, created the near Madsen like number of chances 91 probably about 110 points would be expecting uh, if he can perform okay a nice stat on him as well that he had as many tackles last year as Matt Ritchie did uh, showing that he takes his defensive responsibilities very seriously as well uh, but it's all going to be a watch and wait there's a few 4.5s as well the likes of uh, Leitner Tribal and, and Campwell uh, but I think the man up top is the person who's of most interest there's Timu Pookie at 6.5. pricing was very strange, wasn't it? Obviously, he's got a little bit of sort of top-level experience. Perhaps they put that into consideration. He used to play for Darmstadt 98 and, and Paderborn 07 um, in the Bundesliga a few seasons back before signing for Norwich in the Championship. But he never managed more than five goals in a, in a single campaign uh, before he got the 10 goals uh, for Norwich last year. So um, a little bit of pricing there for uh, for Vrancic. I think, Wendy, you, you've you mentioned, obviously, I think he definitely looks like perhaps if you're going to go for a Norwich midfielder, and we wouldn't recommend it, to be honest, maybe the one to go for at 6 million, sort of 8 goals, 12 assists, as you said. In terms of a Norwich attacker, uh, Timu Puki at 6.5, definitely the, the one to pick. We, we're just watching and waiting for that 89-minute goal, aren't we, against Liverpool? But yeah, he, he was so prolific in, in the um, championship last season, wasn't he? We don't know at the moment how he's going to adjust to uh, Premier League uh, performance. Certainly. So 29 goals, and 9 assists last season, 235 points or something like that he'd have got, which obviously shows the limitation of doing prospects in the prospects for league winners. Um, uh, interesting stat on that 29 goals. Uh, since the championship was renamed as such in 2004, only one player, Glenn Murray, the old warhorse, then of Crystal Palace with 30, bettered that tally. Last season, for example, Metej Vidra uh, got 21, which is the top score. Pookie's 29 is actually the fourth highest since 1992-93 
in the championship. Guy Whittingham somehow got 42 for Sheffield Wednesday that year. I think I remember having a football sticker with his face on it. <laughs> and then Lee Hughes with 31 for WBA in 1998-99, also joining Murray on the podium. What Puki is, is not a target man. He's not a proficient header of the ball. He won only nine of his 67 aerial duels last season. Doesn't really need to be, though, because of the way in which the Canaries work. As I mentioned, lots of technical midfielders like Buendia and Hernandez. They craft the majority of their chance through the middle, along the floor. And uh, Puki is, is kind of a slippery sort of player. Plays on the shoulder of the last man. Takes a lot of shots as well. 144 strikes at goals last season. 3.4 shots per 90. Similar to both Aubameyang, 3.1. And uh, Gonzalo Higuain at 3.3. But way behind the most frequent shots taken of last season in the Premier League. Sergio Aguero, 5.4. Um, He's got a very good technical ability as well, by the way. 1.3 key passes every 90 minutes. So he's a very intelligent sort of player. That 29-goal haul was massively above expectations. His previous highest, according to Transfer Market, is 16 goals for Bromby in the Danish League in 2016-17. So we're not going to be all rushing to buy uh, Timu Puki, but he may well be that player who destroys all of our dreams in a big score for Liverpool in game week one. I think maybe he he may have a, a role to play during the season if, as you say, he adjusts. But yeah, Norwich very much watch and wait um, but lots of really good information out there if you want to look into them further so shall we move on then to the other promoted side that is Sheffield United and um, in contrast to Norwich actually they were a much more defensively minded team last season they managed 21 clean sheet compared to Norwich's 13 in terms of defence I've actually been um, looking at their goalkeeper as a a potential sort of cheap goalkeeping option at 4.5 million and that is um, Dean Henson, and yes, I know he's going to miss game week 13, you know, because they're playing Manchester United, he's going to be on loan against Manchester United, so there's a little bit of a risk there perhaps, but, you know, by that point, a lot of people probably would have wild-carded, so if it's not working out, he definitely can be um, got rid of, but I think um, last season, 73.5% save percentage, which was one of the highest in the league, he's a goalkeeper that a lot of people see as um, sort of perhaps even a future Manchester United number one if he can impress. So definitely one to consider as a sort of a, a bargain goalkeeper. They were pretty good last season, as you mentioned. 21 uh, clean sheets, for just 41 goals conceded, the joint lowest in the championship, predictably level with uh, Tony Pulis's Middlesbrough. But I suspect that the Blades fans, under-ambitious and well-liked boss uh, Chris Wilder, had more fun than they did over at Teesside, though. Uh, 1.83 goals scored on average but at home and just 0.83 conceded at home. It suggests it's fortress Bramall Lane for them. They do have a few good early games, Crystal Palace and Leicester in game weeks two and three at home, for them to kind of see whether they can get that steal across into the Premier League. In terms of how they've been playing, and Fantasy Scout said that they play a 3-5-2 slash a 3-4-1-2 formation. And there's that kind of overlapping centre-back stuff that people have been talking about. So uh, Jack O'Connell and Chris Basham, who's the most versatile utility man, I think, is many a football manager team of mine from a lower league save. Both of them are allowed to push forward and overlap the full-backs, which is quite interesting. Uh, similar to Norwich, they've got very technically gifted centre midfielders, uh, John Fleck and Oliver Norwood. They do sit back a little bit, those two players. They're both 5.0 and they roasted 18 assists in 2018-19. Um, another great 30-30, by the way, with Tomo FPL Blade. Uh, was very, very useful in talking about these guys. Just to mention Egan quickly, 4.5. He takes a lot of headed attempts. He had 27 headed attempts from set plays last year. One less than Michael Keane, who uh, won that measure amongst defenders in the Premier League. But it's Ender Stevens, I think, who's worth stopping on, who did get that 5.0. I think in your endo, um, sorry, in your endo, Stevens, definitely perhaps at the 5.0 million, a little bit too rich for an investment on the Sheffield United defender, but um, 
four goals and six assists. And as you said in the, in the uh, prospecting, the prospects that you wrote about him, he's got the potential of being sort of like a Matt Doherty figure, you know, just constantly on the attack and in the box, getting chances, getting goal attempts. But you also said for every Doherty, there's been a Tommy Smith or Joe Bryan that's done well in the championship, given the 5.0 million price tag and proceeded to do absolutely nothing in the Premier League. So uh, there's every chance, of course, that that's going to happen as well with him. I think um, the other one to mention, perhaps in the defence, again, a lot of attention online, is John Lundstrom. Could he be at 4.0 million? Fender that plays week in, week out. Um, some of the Sheffield United fans online are saying no, uh, despite the amount of minutes that he's managed to pick up across the uh, course of the pre-season. Well, uh, Lundstrom, according to David and uh, Joe at Football Scout, has never been a defender in his life. He's, he's a midfielder. So uh, it's a bit <laughs> of a mistake by FPL, I think. They must be thinking, oh, you Lunder. Yeah, he started every game in pre-season. He's been assisting. And the story seems to be that he was a little bit out of the team. Wilder said that he was perhaps one that was on the way out, but uh, his performances have brought him back into the fold and he'll definitely be involved. Whether that means he'll actually play is a different matter. Sheffield United fans have said that he's uh, very good off the ball, actually. And he may fit a potentially more defensive form in the Premier League. Frankly, though, who cares? If he's in with the chance of bringing one point off the bench at third bench, I think that that's well worth the purchase, especially if he's playing out of position. One point is value at 4.0 because you paid zero. He uh, now looks the most likely lad at that 4.0 price point with Sacco's return, putting Kelly out of the picture. Um, so, yeah, I think he's going to be the one uh, who starts in many FPL teams, unless the likes of you know, Darren Gibson or something moves on and looks like he's going to start elsewhere. Moving forward to midfield, then I mentioned Oliver Norwood, uh, 5.0. Case of always the bridesmaid, never the bride, with nor an Iron Man. He kept being deprived of his crack at the big time. I felt a bit sorry for him when I looked at his history, because, Nick, he was part of Bryson's promoted squad, and then he got moved to Fulham. He was then part of their title-winning squad, and then he got moved to Sheffield United. So it's uh, twice that he's got promoted and, and uh, had to drop back down the division because the, the club didn't want him after they got promoted. Hopefully he'll do a better job of it this year. Uh, three goals and eight assists and 11 yellows last season. 5.0, a chance of pens as well. He took the most recent one in March. Um, but Sharp and McGoldrick were rotating before that. It just seems a case of whoever has it keeps it. Uh, but 97 chances created for teammates last season was pretty good. That worked out at 2.3 key passes per game on who scored one to keep an eye on an option in that bargain bucket although you're probably better off with Dion Donker as we'll mention later on for 0.5 uh, cheaper uh, elsewhere you've got the likes of Freeman likes of Osborne being signed uh, Freeman uh, had a, a one big game in pre-season uh, Andy Nash our friend at, at FPL Nashville a Bristol City fan said that Freeman has good assist potential on the wing although his delivery from set pieces is a bit hit and miss at times always have bags of energy and works hard one to keep an eye on you got Flecky, uh, 5.0, who was pretty good at Rangers. But there is one I want to flag here. Callum Robinson, 5.5 million, who was signed from Preston. 12 goals and three assists last season. 80 shots last season, 44 in the box. A very similar profile to Marcus Rashford, actually. But he's definitely one to keep an eye on for this reason. Chris Wilder had this to say recently, quote, We don't really play with wide forwards, so he's a forward. He links and he stretches and he wants to run in behind. He's just an athletic modern-day centre-forward. Part of his game is that he can score and we need that in our game. So Callum Robinson is a 5.5 out of position striker. With Billy Sharp, he's sort of in that Glenn Murray, Ricky Lambert mould, isn't he? At sort of 6 million. He's had 87 goals in 164 
appearance. He was very much sort of a championship journeyman hitting his Premier League stride right into his 30s. And yeah, with 23 goals and, and four assists last season, he was a sort of an integral member of that Sheffield United squad. And I know you're, you're eyeing up Glenn Murray. Perhaps he could consider Billy Sharp as well. I don't know. I think uh, obviously with um, Sheffield United, as you mentioned, there's a little bit of a competition actually now in that forward line with the likes of McGoldrick. Um, but also they smashed their transfer records, haven't they? By buying Liz Mousset from Bournemouth for 10 million which seems like a little bit of an odd choice to break your transfer record bringing this guy in who's had only one goal in the um, 350 minutes of football that he played last season for Bournemouth maybe um, Wilder's seen something we haven't with Mousset they're also still um, linked with other signings as well Oliver McBurney from Swansea who have uh, been linked with um, the 20 million who scored 22 goals in the championship last season so they're very much in the market still for forwards which is a bit of a surprise perhaps considering they seem to have uh, plenty of options so who can play up front for them but perhaps no killer options as you say it'll be interesting to see how Mousset at 5.0 the record signing may fit in there if McBurney signs who knows what's going to happen in terms of uh, the adjustment of the Premier League with Sheffield United and also with Norwich and it just sounds like for you it's Denderson and for me it's just avoiding them uh, for the time being until I see what's kind of happened with those guys should we take a break Bernick and move on to Southampton sounds good who got the assist who got the assist so we're back and the uh, next team we're going to be covering is Southampton and uh, Tom actually spoke to Lucy Hynett to get a Saints view of uh, Southampton and their Premier League prospects this season. All right, Lucy, how are you? Thank you very much for joining me. I'm all right, thanks. How are you? Absolutely sweltering. I had to close the door so all the sound is correct. I'm regretting it. <laughs> Um, but thanks so much for coming on to talk about your team Saints. Uh, big fan of everything you've got to say on Saints. And I know that you've got a new uh, blog starting up as well. Well, that may change now because I'm doing a club podcast instead. We'll see where that goes. But yeah, it's interesting things going on anyway. I don't know if it'll be a blog or what will be kind of off the back of that, but we're talking about getting something developed. Excellent. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. That's uh, at Lucy Hynet, H-I-G-H, net with two T's. Uh, if you want to uh, keep an eye on how Lucy does, a uh, great source of Southampton knowledge that I've always lent on. I guess, Lucy, to start off, um, FPL projections for Saints next year. What's your view overall in terms of what FPL managers should be thinking? Pricing has determined a little bit on Saints, kind of what you'll be looking at. I'm hoping in general there are more goals at the right end and fewer goals at the wrong end. I'm expecting, given that we'll have our first full season under Hasenhutl, for there to be improvements across the board. I think we saw kind of Redmond and JWP emerge at the back end of last season expect that to be kind of part of the trend so as I said like some of the pricing rules few out so I think Valerie at five that's kind of killed him I think he was obviously a bargain last season but now he's kind of level with Bertrand um, I don't think there's value there I guess if you're looking at defence it'll be kind of Benderek who's probably the most nailed on centre-back gun maybe if you can find a decent rotation from the outset the fixtures aren't looking good um, particularly the home games which are bad to say the least it's going to be a case of what changes Hasenhutl brings in as to how the kind of assets line up. You mentioned uh, Redmond there, JWP, obviously uh, Che Adams has come in and you've got uh, glass man Danny Ings as well, who's no doubt going to play for 20 minutes and then go off injured. Uh, but who's the key man uh, there, Lucy? I'm a little bit torn on this one. I think in terms of the midfield options, I think Redmond probably overward Prowse just because I can see how Redmond fits into kind of the old tactical way of playing we had last season with kind of 3-5-2 or 3-4-3. And what I think Carson Hoot will implement this season, which is a, a kind of 4-2-2-2, I can see him fitting in better there. Whereas I think Ward Prowse 
he's likely to be popped into central midfield and I'm not sure that necessarily lends itself to FPL output I think he tends to do better from kind of wide roles but I think the emphasis there will be pace and, and that's not really Walpass's game but I think actually of all of them I'm going to punch the new guy I'm going Adams he's a really good fit on paper in terms of Hasenhutl's style there were cases last season where Shane Long actually did well because he offered that kind of pace and those runs in behind. That isn't really Danny Ings's game. I think Danny Ings can press really well, but I don't think it's his game to make those runs in behind. I think he was doing a lot of the kind of Harry Kane work in a way in the sense that he was dropping in for the kind of counterattacks to pivot. Whereas Adams offers that stuff in behind that Shane Long can do, but hopefully with a bit more output. Mm-hmm. And I think being at that kind of six million price point um, makes him kind of an interesting alternative. There's quite a lot of six and a half, isn't there? Like Jota and King and Barnes, got to mention the Barnes train. Um, but I think he's quite an interesting option at that price, even with our fixture potentially. He scored in the first two minutes of his first preseason game and the first minute of his second one. So, you know, if, you, if you're a sort of person that gets way too carried away with preseason form, he is your man. Excellent. Yeah, he's uh, one of those who uh, we, we have seem to have a lot of hope for, I guess, because he's one the manager seems to have asked for. <laughs> so you've got to be hoping at 6.0, yeah, yeah. that's going to be a player that we're going to be able to rely on. And, and finally, Lucy, uh, Nathan Redman, the perennial man to talk about on these sorts of podcasts. Uh, uh, is that, w- will he lose his opposition spot to Adams? Is Adams going to play with Danny Ings? Because I know that Redman was advanced last year. Like he's, uh, I think he's the most expensive Southampton player at 6.5. Like, what's your view on him? Yeah, I think there is actually quite a high high chance that he will go back into a wing position. I think actually, speaking of the wing positions, that brings Gineppo into play. I know there were quite a lot of more studious FPL players that were mentioning him as a potential option at five and a half. If he can get game time quickly, he's been at the AFCON, so I'm not sure what kind of the position is there. But I think the thought is that it could be Redmond and Gineppo on the wings with Adams and Ings up front, potentially. We haven't really seen yet whether Hasenhut all sees kind of Ings and Adams as alternatives or a kind of partnership. So that will be kind of something to iron out. But I would be surprised if Redmond held on to that out of position spot. Cool. So quite a lot up in the air, but it sounds like Hasenhutl's getting there. Thanks very much for your time today, Lucy. That's at Lucy Heinet, H-I-G-H-N-E-T-T on Twitter. Uh, Keep an eye out for her latest uh, Saints endeavours by giving her a follow. Thank you. Cool. So an interesting little interview there with Lucy, who's uh, far more knowledgeable than we are on Southampton. As she mentioned, it's really about the impact of Hasenhutl there. Last season, as she said, that there were more goals at the wrong end than the right end. 45 goals scored, 65 goals conceded. There's a real split between the rep of a manager that is Mark Hughes and Hasenhutl. Between game weeks 1 and 16, they scored only 13 goals and conceded 30. Since Hasenhutl took over, things have improved. Further difference between the two, their XG from open play under Hughes was 13.52. That rose to 20.3 under Hazen. Prices, as Lucy said, are definitely determining our interests. You know, the goalkeepers, looks like Gunn is probably going to be the guy who starts. The defence are probably not too interested either. You know, with Valerie up to 5.0. Perennial, sometimes favourite, Ryan Bertrand also kind of hanging around Yoshida. I mean, do we really want any of those players? I'm not too sure at the beginning, especially with the opening game stuff. Hampton not being particularly appetising. And Burnley away, Liverpool at home. Brighton away and Man United at home. They do have a tough start to the season, actually. So it may not be for a little while until they're onto the radars. It looks like a 4-2-2-2, as Lucy said. And that may impact uh, James Ward-Prowse, uh, 6.0, who I did initially look at the price of. Uh, shockingly, uh, JWP got no assists at all last season. 
I looked it up and had to double check that I hadn't filtered it wrong, had to go on the uh, FPL website to look at that as well. But yeah, no assists at all for JWP. Um, always good for a set piece, but you've got to bear in mind Lucy's uncertainty of the fact that even at the 6.0 price point, his lack of pace may count against him in terms of um, him actually getting on any end product um, other than kind of speculative long shots. So he had 2.75 XG last season, but scored seven goals. <laughs> so he overshot his XG by 4.25, which just shows the sort of shots he's been having. Your man, Nathan Regman, Nick, is another one that I spoke to Lucy about. Uh, what do you think about these sorts of guys in the midfield and Redmond particularly? I think in terms of the Southampton assets, Redmond's probably the one that's most interesting in the midfield, costing 6.5 million, which I think is just a little bit too rich uh, for what he offers when you compare him to some of the, sort of the other picks out there at the same price, like IOC Perez. Um, yeah, Redmond managed six goals, five five assists, which um, sort of was actually his best campaign so far in the Premier League. In terms of the goal threat, he had 74 goal attempts, nine big chances, shot every 44.3 minutes. So you're, you're going to get a couple of chances a game, essentially, from Nathan Redmond, which is not really what you want for your £6.5 million midfielder, is it? You want a little bit more for him, and I don't think he's necessarily shown that more than three times any other Southampton midfielder in terms of the penalty box touches. It's not exciting, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm just not particularly interested in him, and especially because of Che Adams' signing from Birmingham. It looks like he's going to be pushed back um, onto the wing as well. Elsewhere, you've got Elliot Nussi, Stuart Armstrong, uh, the new signing, Gineppo at 5.5, who Lucy mentioned. It could be an interesting one to keep an eye on. We're really going to need fixtures to align uh, for us to be considering these guys. That's still true of moving forward as well. Uh, your permacroc made of glass, Danny Ings, played 13 games last season, which meant that they had to rely on Shane Long I mean, if anyone's relying on Shane Long, that's, that's a pretty bad thing, isn't it? Kay Adams, though, is worth talking about quickly. The guy that Lucy Plump for has been the guy to watch. 22 goals, four assists last season for Birmingham. 174 points, I think it would have worked out that last year. Some stats as well to give us at Lanka. 114 shots last season. Only 65% of them were in the box, so he likes to let fly from distance. Um, a little bit different from Timu Puki, for example. Not really a target man. Um, he's the sort of man who's going to be, as Lucy said, doing the business in behind. And also fairly creative as as well 67 chances created last season works out at 1.5 chances created per game which is a very decent ratio indeed only burst by Wilfred Zahar amongst the forwards Adams is used to playing in two up top as well Luka Jukovic last season played alongside him and provide the nods on to a speedier counterpart. So in terms of Southampton, this may well be, you know, one to look at if a player is performing exceedingly well or the situation suits it. But although we think that Hazen Hootel perhaps has done a very, very good job there, I don't think any of us are particularly interested in Southampton assets at the moment. I think Shea Adams, obviously, he's an exciting talent. But definitely perhaps the, the focal point in, in terms of the attack he has scored in the preseason, maybe one to look at, we don't know. But yeah, I think we're going to watch and wait with Southampton unless you're fancying a Shane Long bench fodder. Let's move on to Spurs. I don't know where to start. Do you want to start? Yeah, so Spurs last season obviously finished in the top four and definitely saw their FPL potential fall apart towards the end of the season as other considerations took primacy for them and the lethargic and demon performances we saw in the Premier League. Six, seven goals scored, first nine season and 13 clean sheets. For the first time ever, their defence is not above the 6.0 mark, which is interesting. Start off with the goalkeeper, Loris, 5.5 million, solid but unspectacular, 140 points per season around that 5.5 he's only ever failed to reach 140 points once in the last six seasons and he was the best value Spurs player if you'd like those early home games against Aston Villa and Newcastle and think he could get a couple of clean sheets from that then why not 
I think the Reese is quite interesting. He's another option, sort of set and forget keeper, isn't he? At five point five million, alongside the likes of Kepper and maybe even David Haya. But in terms of stats, it, it wasn't Spurs' um, best season actually defensively. They felt a little bit of shakiness around Luisa points, and then so despite the uh, heroics of the World Cup. Um, there was the captain of a World Cup winning side, of course. Um, sort of that drink driving uh, incident knocked um, a little bit of his confidence. A couple of uh, sort of lapses in concentration we saw from him last season. But surprisingly, actually, his um, save percentage of 77.9% was more than any other goalkeeper that had more than six games. They only managed the 13 sort of clean sheets last season. I guess it's sort of par for the course uh, for them. Though. They conceded uh, more goals than they did last season. I think the defensive slot that's most interesting for FPL fans the, um, the right-back slot, having um, sold Trippier to Atletico. We've now got Dejoria, Kyle Walker-Peters and one Foyth all competing for that right-back slot. Foyth is suspended for the first two games after that red card against Bournemouth. It looks like he might be the the leading man to take that position, um, having impressed uh, for Argentina playing in that position. Maybe KWP. He got three assists in one game last season, memorably. The guy who's going to start that season. But you know how much Poch destroys his fullbacks. And I just don't really think it's worth it. And who knows, uh, Kieran Trippier-Peters may emerge from the academy as well to further complicate the seat. Um, and uh, you know, um, you've got the man Ben Davis. Back in 18, uh, Ben Davis actually created more chances than any other defender at 46. But we think that maybe Sessegnon's going to come in and uh, perhaps uh, steal that place off him. I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, give him a 6.0, a 6.0 sort of rating. Uh, or maybe put him as a midfielder or something, uh, you know, reverse out of position too. Yeah, I think with Sessegnon, it's an interesting case. What are they going to do with Ryan Sessegnon? How are they going to play it? Are they going to give him the £6 million midfield pricing or the £5.5 million defender? Hello, Matt Ritchie, um, well, he played as a midfielder last season mostly, so it's going to be the midfielder star. So he could be a £6 million midfielder playing alongside the £5.5 million defenders, which once again is going to make Sessegnon, unfortunately, a non-viable asset for FPLs. It remains to be seen what happens there with Danny Rose. Ben Davis, a huge fan of babies, as you know, from my shrine. But um, I think he's probably going to remain the backup option regardless of whether Danny Rose stays or whether Sessegnon comes in. Safe to say that I don't think we can get too excited about about any of the uh, the Tottenham defenders. <laughs> Unfortunately, despite there being a, a fair decent home games there, I can see the logic of putting the reach of something in though. It definitely makes sense. Uh, moving forward, uh, Ndombele, uh, the uh, the record signing for Spurs. Um, I don't really think it's so much about him as an FPL asset, but the impact he's going to have on that team. We may see players move around. You know, is Sissoko going to be out of the side? Is he, is Ndombele going to sit alongside Winks? Is Ali still going to be playing in the centre midfield? spot. How's the Chelsea going to fit in if he comes in? Lots of unknowns there. Worth meditating on Dele Alli though quickly as a falling star though, Nick. 8.5 million but capable of very big seasons as we've seen in the past. In 2016-17 he scored 18 goals and got 7 assists. Over time it, he has kind of uh, regressed in terms of the end product. Um, in, in that year, 2016-17, he had more big chance than any midfielder other than Sanchez in 22 and was six overall for shots. The question is, could Ndombele free Ali up to be more offensive? Because we want him to be playing as a shadow striker rather than a deep-lying midfielder sort of character that he was this year. He said in the press he felt like he'd become a better player. But in FPL sense, we really need him forward, don't we? Yeah, I think he's definitely worth considering. Of course, yeah, like you said, that that campaign, it was the, the campaign that Sanchez um, smashed it. 2016-17, uh, he was he was only second to Sanchez in terms of FPL points. So he did play sort of a deeper role last season, perhaps. And Don Bele will free up 
Ali from the more defensive role that he was playing. It'll be interesting to see how Pock lines up at the start of the season and where Ali fits in if he plays sort of like a secondary striker role as he did in that season where he scored those 18 goals. Then he certainly could be very viable falling star, as you said, having dropped to 8.5 million. As you said, and signing Van Dobele, very exciting. Spurs fans excelled there, particularly in the Champions League, actually, where he um, completed 2.9 triples per game, which was the fifth most of any um, any player and the most of any central midfielder he, I think he, he'll improve the defence as well and um, give the potential for more clean sheets um, worth mentioning as well we didn't mention him there's Toby Alderweireld um, looks like he's staying no one's activated that release clause of £25 million pounds. so having the pairing of Vertonghen and Alderweireld and also Davidson Sanchez in the hearts of that defence depending on how Pop lines up is going to be really good yeah, certainly. I think Ndombele is a, is a fantastic signing, really. Like, if he was a, you know, a, a goal scorer or an assister, we'd all be incredibly excited about him. As it is, he's not really an FPL asset, more of a Sky asset, as Mark Edworthy mentioned on the podcast we did about Sky not very long ago. But yeah, no, I think there'll be a few knock on effects, and we may see a more solid Spurs team, which may 5.5 price tag for the defenders look decent. Who knows? Staying with the offensive players, then, I think we're going to breeze over Ericsson just because we don't know whether he's going to go off to Real Madrid or not. With the to Asensio, it may well happen now. But if he doesn't, there's a capacity for him to be a sleeper asset because he's got the threat and creativity combined both income streams of points effectively. Really rubbish at set pieces though. But the TLDR of him is that he's always worth a look with an average of eight goals and 14 assists per season in the Premier League. Son versus Lucas is an interesting one, isn't it? And maybe we should start with the Korean, one of my favourite players, and I think one of yours as well, the talisman-elect uh, when Kane wasn't around last season. I think less than 2% separated them on talisman index, something like that, wasn't it? Definitely got a role to play. He is suspended for the first two games, but from game week three, I think it would be interesting to see whether he comes in or whether it will be your man Lucas Mora who uh, preserves that spot. I think with Son, it was actually quite interesting. I was surprised to see this in the end, that he actually um, scored more poorly last season than he did the season before and the season before that, having only got 159 points. He seemed to be nailed down in that sort of Spurs lineup, supporting Kane. With Son, obviously the suspension means we're not looking at him at this moment in time. He's definitely a very exciting player. He's also had the price rise, which perhaps puts you off him a little bit. He's now up to sort of 9.5 million. So it's, it's, a, it's quite a hefty investment. It's sort of the kind of player that you want to own when Kane's injured. Kane looks um, so far as a sort of pre-season dictates, especially after that sort of 1-0 win over Real Madrid today, which is, was brilliant. And I think for me, actually, the one I'm, I'm quite interested in and sort of owning my team at the moment is Lucas Moura. I spoke about him on there from the last couple of pods, but yes, I know he's uh, a transfer waiting to happen. Them, but um, he will start um, with Son suspended. He looked really a sleeper hit and a, a very good value hit at um, 7.5 million. Yeah, certainly 131 points, 10 goals, and three assists last season. Hatrick Hero against Ajax, Hatrick Hero against Huddersfield, snubbed in the Champions League final. Um, who knows? Uh, but the Aston Villa game is looking very juicy. And as we've discussed quite a few times now, I can see why you go with Lucas Moura. I just prefer Ryan Fraser. And finally, uh, the man himself, Harry Kane. Uh, worth talking about him. We used to speak about him as much as we did about Mo Salah, didn't we, Nick, for a while? But last season, um, 
uh, was out for large swathes of it with recurring injuries and down to 11.0 now. But it's worth remembering those consecutive 29-goal hauls in 2016-17, 2017-18. Without Kane being fit all the time, it's really interesting to see the impact of one particular metric for Spurs, which is their attempts at goal. In 2017-18, they took 623 shots at goal. Last season, only 538. So Kane not being up and running is a huge part of Spurs' threat gone. 2017-18, Kane dominated the strike metrics, and I've written that in capitals. He's a volume striker. He took a massive 184 shots, 122 of which were in the box. He had 39 big chances that year. There's a huge player in there, and maybe the departure of Hazard may see Kane come back and have that spot to be that premium player. As you mentioned with Kevin De Bruyne, uh, there are allowances being made by many to fit Harry Kane in. Uh, there's Aston Villa in game week one, Newcastle in game week three, uh, which offer chances of those backing Harry to do it. Potential for a massive haul. As a Spurs fan, Nick, are you following suit with uh, James from Planet FPL and putting Harry Kane in? So I haven't got Kane in at the moment. I've, I've, only, got, I've only got Mora, but... You know, I'm a little bit worried about not owning him. I mean, in terms of his stats last season, we, we talk about it being a bad year for Kane. But in terms of his actual underlying stats, he was um, second only really to Aguero in terms of minutes per chance, um, creating a chance every 24 point, uh, 23.8 minutes, which was the highest uh, full forwards. Only Aguero, uh, that sort of active strikers, um, had a better chance ratio with chance every 21 minutes and yeah um, still managed to net 17 goals over the course of 28 appearances managed to net 17 goals he was just unfortunate a little bit with his injuries like KDB he looks fit he looks raring to go and he's had a summer off last season with the World Cup he didn't get much of a summer break this year He's had a full summer break. He, he's he's fit. He's ready, and uh, excited to see what he can do for Spurs next season. Even if I'm a little bit worried about not having him in my FPL team. Yeah, I'm certainly worried as well. Very good arguments being made for Caden. I'm just like, oh, feisty one you are. I can definitely see where you're coming from with that. It's just the case of whether I'll be willing to dismantle my team, sacrifice Raheem Sterling to fit Harry Kane in. Three teams to go, Nick. We we'll back after this break with Watford. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back in rinse of Ws. WWW dot. Perhaps teams who are the most situational teams. So uh, we'll be kind of flying through these because there are only a few players who are of interest. Starting with the Hornets, Watford. 52 goals scored, 59 conceded last season, seven clean sheets. Starting at the back, you've got Foster, who's Ron Seal at 5.0. We'll do exactly what it says on the price. Inconsistent side, they conceded more goals on average, both home and away. And of current Premier League teams, they conceded the most big chances of 98. Only relegated Fulham with 101 conceded more. You've got the likes of Cathcart. Kiko Firmenia, Holobas Roulette, where you get 10 plus points or a yellow card. Remember Adam Messina last year being the topic of discussion mm. in FPL? It's, it's when you're really getting down to those sorts of players, likes of him and Ken Seema, when you're like, hmm, can't see us really being interested in any of these players. But who knows? Maybe they'll be okay. But that big chance is conceded that it's pretty damn worrying for Watford. Be inclined to agree with you in terms of the defence. I'm not particularly enamoured by the Watford lineup. I think uh, it's a bit surprised by Foster and he says 0.5 million price increase Watford just weren't good enough defensively I guess to warrant our form of pricing with 59 goals conceded that was 13th worst in the league 
that being said, I think Cathcart perhaps at 4.5 millions, the only option there, and I've seen him prop up in a few drafts. So this was scored three goals last season. You know, he's got a sort of a header on him. And he's another defender that I guess has to be considered in that range if, you, if you're really keen on, on owning a 4.5 defender. But yeah, I don't, I don't think there's anything uh, too much to say in the midfield. Again, it's not brilliant in terms of the options. So <laughs> no, apologies to any Watford fans that are listening. You've got the, the Duke, Ducore and Roberto Pereira perhaps um, both are six million perhaps the only ones that are worth uh, sort of mentioning in, in brief in terms of their FPL potential yeah Pereira scored a brace actually at the opening day last season I remember Tom Campbell was very keen on him took him out of the squad last minute and I texted Tom on the day going Pereira yay and Tom texted me back just you know that sweat smile face and I was like oh I was like, oh no, I'm so sorry for you, man. <laughs> it does happen every now and again. But yeah, um, at the risk of sounding like inconsiderate owls, I think we should move on to the strikers. And it's a Jerry D, who's been reclassified as a striker, who's the first one to talk about. Stephen Toomey, I remember, was quite perplexed at the reclassification there. Perhaps they did it as another option in the 6.5 million. Delafeo's H2 data is being thrown around in a positive light. He got 133 points last season from 10 goals and 5 assists in 2,064 minutes. That's 23 games played. That looks pretty good on paper, doesn't it? Bye, bye, bye. But this is a really, really damn good example of framing. So Neil and um, FPL Canal uh, seized on one of these points. Someone on Twitter said, um, Delefeu has a better FPL points per 90 than the likes of Fraser, Jimenez and Siggy. Neil points out that Delefeu's points per 90 stats break down as such. Points per 90 versus teams called Cardiff and Huddersfield, 20.15. Points per 90 versus teams not called Cardiff and Huddersfield, 3.66. Bit of a flat track bully, I think, uh, Delefeu. And it's just the case of whether you think Brighton uh, as the starting game, Everton is old club in game week two, and West Ham in, at home in game week three are worth a spin. Don't know whether he's going to stay in the striker role, but you know he could be one that you could be having a look at at 6.5, right? I think he was in that initial team that I sent to official FPL, which they put out at 3am on Saturday. With Deo Lefeo, to be honest, it's a little bit disappointing that he got reclassified as a forward because I think if he remained a midfielder, he'd certainly be a player that would be worth considering in your draft. Now he's a forward, I've lost um, complete interest in him. Much more interested in £6.5 million midfielders that have been reclassified and had no price change like Ozzy Perez, as we said before. Did a bit of reverse engineering on Deo Lefeo's points, taking away what he would have lost, which would be 19 points in total. He would have actually ended up scoring less teammates Troy Deeney and, and less than the likes of Shane Duffy not brilliant in terms of that and yeah, like you said he was really good in some games specifically games against Huddersfield and Cardiff you didn't see too much from him in the other games and I think definitely he's going to be one of the key men next season um, for sure but whether he can remain viable as an FPO asset as a 6.5 million forward I'm, I'm not 100% sure on that Andre Gray is sort of my case for why um, you shouldn't spend money on your forward line and spend on defence as well. And, you know, it's sort of the classic case of do you want De La Faye or Dini or do you want Virgil van Dijk for the same price? Yeah, simples, mate. I, I think you're completely right. The likes of Gray, the likes of Success, the likes of Will Hughes, uh, who didn't speak about, they're, they're all mayor, aren't they, really? And you much prefer the defensive assets in contrast to that price point. 
Big Troy is the last guy we're talking about at Watford. Nine goals, five assists last season, 116 points. On penalties as well, but he's got a bit of a dodgy track record. So he scored the uh, sole penalty last season, but had six penalties in 2017-18 and missed half of them, including to my chagrin versus Arsenal as part of that really long penalty curse uh, I had. Remember that, Nick? I went, I think, for about a year mm-hmm. <laughs> with uh, penalties being missed. Got it in him to give you around 10 goals per season. Obviously has the cojones to um, get a random red card as well. His XG tends to average out around that 10 goals. So you know, he's just that kind of player, really. He's going to be solid but unspectacular for you. Stats are all middle of the road, but at 6.5 million, you know, it's a solid pump, perhaps, if you want to start with a Watford player early on. It's another kind of team that you could happily just kind of love and leave them and, and not never relook really at them. A bit like Newcastle in that regard, aren't they? Uh, one team that you may not want to avoid all season is West Ham. So last season, uh, they scored 52 goals, to the 55 and kept seven clean sheets. Under Pellegrini, as expected almost, the Ethoses will try to outscore you. Uh, they scored more goals at home on average than away, but they conceded an average of 1.5 goals per game. But there's bound to be goals at either end of West Ham. Most people have been really put off by City first. Fixtures after that first no-go are actually pretty damn good. So they only play Man United of last season's top six between game weeks 2 and 12. A run which takes in games against all three newly promoted sides, including Norwich and Sheffield United at home. Starting off with Fabianski, Flappy Hansky, a fantastic goalkeeper. Topped the charts for expected goals prevented last season with over 10. So that's David De Gea in Dave Saves mode level goalkeeping. 5.0, a little bit disappointed that he got a little bump, but perhaps not surprising as well. Top the saves. In that defence, it's a bit of a wasteland, isn't it? Balbuena and Diop, 4.5. It's a bit worrying to own either of them because they don't offer much goal for it. And West Ham's defence was really poor last season. I mean, really poor. They conceded the fourth most shots on target, the third most big chances last season. Only Watford and Fulham conceded more. And they were level with Huddersfield for that metric. So, yeah, really not very good. Another fun stat for you, Nick. West Ham lost more tackles, 403, than any other team. 22 clear of second place balls. You've got the likes of you know, Ryan Fredericks, who may do a job for you. Uh, he got seven assists for in the championship. And uh, Tom Ron Weasley mentioned him to me at the Planet FPL meetup. But, yeah, that back line is probably just not one we're particularly interested in, is it? I don't think we are particularly interested in them. I think, obviously, we've got Fabianski, who you mentioned. He's perhaps the, the only one that you would consider. Not too many options in defence, obviously. There's also Winston Reid at 4.0 million. Spent most of the last campaign injured, but if he could become nailed on again, perhaps is, an, is another possible 4.0 million bargain pick. Though he looks like he's probably going to be playing second fiddle to Diop and Valbuena in terms of central defence. Right, moving on to midfield. Uh, Nobes. For penalties only, Mr. West Ham. I, I don't think there's much interest in other than that. For now, is the new signing Villarreal. 124 points, I think, he got last season from two goals and three assists. According to Understat, that's an XG of 3.92 and next day of 5.41. Not particularly exciting, but he looked very good at the under-21s. Uh, Surge from Planet FPL really likes him. And uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he does at West Ham. Not so much because of what he is in terms of his end product, but how he may enhance the appeal of other assets like Andre Yarmolenko and Philippe. Anderson, though I'm aware that the position is on many a list because Fornals looks like the man who may be able to link it all together. Yamlenko is a 6.0, by the way, and doesn't know how to pass, but um, is a very direct player who could well be a secret weapon throughout the year. Uh, but it's worth talking about Felipe Anderson for a second, especially in contrast with Mikel Antonio, actually, who's another player who's uh, of interest. Did you know, Nick, that Antonio had more assists than Felipe Anderson did last year? 
Felipe uh, created 64 chances last season, but was pipped by Antonio uh, for strikes at goal. Um, however, 13 goal involvements is decent enough for a first season. Uh, Felipe Anderson, I didn't own him at all um, over the entire course of the season. So I wasn't victim to his uh, trolling. And as you said, many people were um, <laughs> trolled by him. He was a player. I thought he was very exciting for West Ham, particularly in you know the games against the likes of Manchester United, where he scored and just looked a, a real danger. But yeah, he did go through fallow patches. But he was the talisman, wasn't he? Uh, pipping Anatovic just for a debut campaign. I can certainly see him pressing on and having another strong campaign for West Ham next season. And uh, the final guy to talk about is uh, Sebastian Haller, um, the new striker. You mentioned Arnautovic. He's gone off to Shanghai now, been replaced by the Frenchman Haller, um, who comes to us from Frankfurt before the Hales at Utrecht. Uh, 15 goals and nine assists last season. That would have been 157 points. And uh, for him, it's going to be a case of adjusting to being the main man. Last season, he was playing alongside Luka Jovic, who's now gone off to uh, Real Madrid and have the likes of Kostic uh, feeding him. But yeah, he was very much second fiddle to Luka Jovic, the star. Uh, he created 38 chances last season, actually, Haller as well, um, mostly for Jovic. Uh, to add some further numbers from who scored, he managed 54 shots last season, 40 were in the box, and he won 201 of his 340 aerial duels, so he's using that big frame, six, six foot two inches he is, to, to good effect. The penalties last season for Frankfurt, but who knows if Nobes is going to let him have that. Uh, encouragingly, his XG was actually pretty good. He had an XG of 13.69 uh, last season for Frankfurt. 15 goals per score, which isn't too bad. Uh, we're looking at a 10 to 15 goal per season striker, which is pretty decent. And his XA for nine assists well, actually wasn't that bad either. A brilliant piece in Haller by FPL Chef uh, noted that Haller had 48 shots last season, 56.3% of those were on target and the conversion rate of around 30%. Compared to that, Aguero had an accuracy of 37% and the conversion rate of just under 20%. Percentage is the better for Haller, um, but Haller's taking half the shots. So he could be a real machine if he can take that mantle of being the talisman from Arnautovic and really benefit from the uh, embarrassment of rich, creative riches behind him and the likes of Lanzini as well, we haven't mentioned. I've also noted that the analytics squadron on Twitter is all over him. Uh, so he could be one that, to keep an eye on throughout the course of the season. And he's also one who's in the frame for those two FTs come game week three. I think West Ham are generally hindered by the fact that they've got that poor game week one fixture. But as soon as that's out of the way, they suddenly become very interesting don't they looking at those games obviously the home match against Manchester City has just put us completely off only West Ham players in, a, in our first draft but after that a run of Brighton Watford Norwich Aston Villa doesn't get much better than that and then you know this is United after that but then Bournemouth Crystal Palace so yes yeah, it's, it's a really decent um, run of fixtures actually from game week two all the way to, to game week 12 and you know they are certainly a team that is, is worth considering and perhaps on your first free transfer you should be considering and looking at the likes of Felipe Anderson or Haller, as you mentioned. Right, Nick, last one. We've got to the last one. Yay! <laughs> last, but by certainly no means least, it's the gold shirts, it's Wolves. Um, very interesting team, obviously came up last year and immediately looked like part of the furniture. They actually conceded, Nick, the third lowest big chances last year in terms of the defence. Um, four fewer than Chelsea, 13 fewer than your team Spurs. They also conceded the fourth fewer shots in the box, sit fewer shots on target uh, but they did make the fifth most defensive errors which is why they seem to concede that odd one goal every game uh, which depressed the points totals of the likes of Doherty uh, they scored 47 goals conceded 46 and kept nine clean sheets finishing seventh and averaging 1.41 goals a, a game at home um, 
unfortunately, their Achilles heel, as we all remember, seemed to be the easier games when they didn't have as much pressure on them. So they lost to Huddersfield twice. They're the only team. Me. Yeah, they're the only team the Terriers did the double over, losing an aggregate of three nil against them with a galling two nil loss at home, a black mark against them. They also lost one to Cardiff and drew another versus Fulham. Um, actually, the aggregate of that was just two one to Wolves, whilst managing to beat the likes of Arsenal, Man United, and memorably Spurs away. Uh, so a very Jekyll and Hyde sort of performance. We have to see what the UEL will do to them. Um, that utterly decimated Burnley, as we saw on the last podcast. Burnley conceded 30 more goals as a result of being in the UEL last season. And Wolves also have a small squad in common with Burnley. Catrone and signed from Milan this morning. And reinforcements in the shape of Dion Donka and C. Senor Jimmy have actually been just loans turned into permanent moves. So they do probably need more bodies. We've also seen Vallejo has joined from Real Madrid. There's another body in the, in the defence who may take over the role from Ryan Bennett or something like that. But that defence where we're going to start had some heavy, heavy price rises that we're not too happy with. You know, Wolves have the early start in this campaign, which um, we've seen many a team suffer from before, um, particularly Burnley last season, but also the likes of Everton, Southampton, West Ham, Newcastle. It seems to always be the case of that team that sort of gets that seventh slot in Europe, so to speak, really struggling the, the next campaign. And, and we have to hope, uh, for Wolves' sake, that uh, this campaign isn't the same. As you said, the, the prices have increased. Everyone's gone up. Johnny's now going to cost you 5.5. Dotty, 6. Connor Cody, your man, as you mentioned in the value piece of not having a single shot all season, is now 5.0 million. A zero goal attempts in all 34 games that he played uh. this season, which is absolutely <laughs> shocking. That's going to cost you a whole 5 million if you want him next season. Um yeah, and you know, Dodd, if we talk about him, I guess, one of my favourites really from last season, he was brilliant, um, got him in 4.4 million, he just absolutely smashed it for me. Um, it's now bumping you up to 6 million and it's more expensive than any Spurs defender, for instance, a team that's likely to get you many more clean sheets and, and did so last season. But the reason that we like Doherty is not really for the clean sheets, is it? It was because of his attacking returns. He got four goals and seven assists last season. He also very annoyingly scored four goals in the FA Cup which was a bit frustrating for me when I owned him during that period. and He just kept scoring the FA Cup and not in the league. But his underlying stats were brilliant, weren't they? 43 goal attempts, most world defenders, 37, unbelievably, which are actually inside the uh, box, and eight big chances as well. It's just a shame at £6 billion, His price is just so prohibitive, isn't it? I don't think he's... He's worth that six million. Unfortunately, it's the same with like sort of Pereira from Leicester, both being sort of priced up to six million, which is just a bit of a shock, really. And so I think those prices have put us um, completely off them. Doherty had a two fewer shots in the box last season than Son Heung-min did. Like, absolutely great, but that six million price tag is, is, is a very heavy-handed rise, and we'll definitely need convincing. Further at the back, as you mentioned, Johnny, 101 points, stubbornly mediocre stats, well worth 5.5. Ugh. I heard that Bradley Parker on the first team first he was very keen on Vinagre it might be interesting to see what happens there uh, Vallejo um, has come in as well the other players there Rui Patricio 5.0 he's a good goalkeeper at 5.0 end of not really too much to discuss uh, Big Bolly was only put up to 5.0 which is pretty decent compared to the rest of them getting uh, quite high rises uh, it was notable that in the value piece that if you applied the New Year's prices compared to the old year's prices that the entire Wolves defence fell in 
value significantly. Doxy was perhaps the most popular Wolves defender, the one we're all looking at. And we both got him in at 4.4 and we're very happy with that. But yeah, 6.0, there's no way we can start from him and we're going to need to see some continual good performances from him before we consider passing with that level of cash. Let's move forward then. Um, it looks like, uh, to talk about the, the formation quickly, uh, there is a point to this, that Nuno changed the formation uh, last season. So he started the season using wingers, if you remember. So he had a Jota on one side and the likes of Cavaliero and Costa uh, playing on the wings, Adama Traore. But he looks to swap the system over during the season, put Jota up front uh, next to Jimenez and played with five at the back and three in midfield. So the Portuguese double pivot of Neves and uh, Moutinho, who we're not going to talk about, um, was joined by one man, one hero potential, uh, Dion Donka, uh, the Belgian from Anderlecht, who um, who got his chance to move to the centre of that three and actually plays a bit more of an advanced role ahead of that double Portuguese pivot, which is surprising because he's defence midfielder slash ball-winning midfielder on Football Manager. And it looks like the departures of the likes of Helder Costa to Leeds means that the wing-backs are going to be kept and that position is going to be kept, which means that Donka is going to keep playing. And uh, some of the stats were pretty damn good. So in the final 10 games of last season, Donk uh, got six big chances. He only scored one. But that's just one less than Raheem Sterling and one more big chance than the likes of Mo Salah and Richarlison. And a similar XGI to the likes of Richarlison and Felipe Anderson across those last 10 games. Now, obviously, Richarlison and Felipe Anderson are players who can sporadically get you double-digit returns and they're priced accordingly. Dion Donker, in contrast, costs 4.5 million and he's seemingly a nailed-on starter who can potentially get you points above appearance. He's most likely going to be your bencher anyway. Because of him looking so good, I'm basically not interested in any of the midfielders between five and six because Donk is looking like such a good prospect and such a vital building block to our side. Perfect kind of 4.5 midfielder to come off the bench before we all inevitably go to 3-5-2 later in the year. 4.5 million, what you've just said about him, definitely an option. I think for me, actually, I'm, I'm going for five in midfield at the start of the season and just one up top. So he's not in my team at the moment. I can certainly understand why he looks like the best 4.5 million midfielder that's out there. And yeah, as you said, there's not too many other options in the midfield because of the way that Wolves formation, a lot of the attack actually goes through the wingbacks, the likes of Doherty, Johnny, of course, as well, towards forwards up front. You've got Jota and Jimenez. Jota, obviously, another player that has been reclassified. He would have lost 19 points and would have only scored 120 points over the course of the season. The same as Utina. So I think, yeah, the uh, change in position has been prohibitive on Jota and obviously as well the um, signing of Patrick Coutrone as well might mean that there's a little bit more rotation in terms of the front line. Yeah, I mean, I know what you mean about Jota. Um, it, it'd be interesting to see what Coutrone does. Still developing. He's in 20 years old, um, confirmed uh, arrival from Milan. 21 goals in 80 games, so not much to write home about. Uh, but the Italian advance forward is two things. One, a massive hero of mine for football manager. Um, him and Jal Felix fired my Arsenal team this year on this year's game to uh, Champions League victory. Uh, one can dream. And uh, he's also, as you mentioned, a bit of a cat amongst the pigeons uh, for uh, Jota and Jimmy. As you mentioned with Jota, decent player, actually. Played more advanced than Jimmy a lot of the time. Has a higher XGI than Fraser, Madsen and Siggy for the second half of the season. We've got to be hoping that Cutrone doesn't push him back to the wing, as that may mean that Donk disappears to the bench. 
but Jimmy is probably the real star of that Wolves team, as you mentioned, the talisman hero. He was beaten out by Has um, by just 0.05% in terms of the individual points last year. And he really did lose steam in the final third, but he was nonetheless the only forward in the value ranking in the top 20. Lots of managers like Adam Hopcroft, who were astute enough to jump on early at 5.5 million, scarcely believable really considering he scored 181 points with 13 goals and 10 assists. But a difficult second album to come, I think. Uh, are you considering uh, him and so I'm not considering him right now. However, you know, I, I was actually um, quite surprised by his price. I thought it was actually very generous what they priced him at, which was sort of 7.5 million. Um, you know, which is very kindly. I thought um, 13 goals and 10 assists was pretty um, damn impressive for his first season in the Premier League, and that made him the third highest scoring forward in the game. Of course, um, he was also third for goal attempts with 97, only behind Aguero and Mitrovic, who somehow managed to get 18, 118 goal attempts over the course of the season. So that was a chance every 28.5 minutes for Jimenez. Jimenez was also uh, fifth for chances created out of all forwards. Um, 12 uh, big chances created was the uh, joint highest for for all forwards. So if Wolves can perform to the same standards as they did last season, there's every chance that once again, we'll see big returns from him and Another quick fact to throw in, he had an XGI of 20 last season, which is very similar to Sadio Mane. Uh, so a very, very good player. And in comparison with Jota, um, Jimmy is the alpha to Jota's beta in the head-to-head, even in that second half when Jota markedly improved Jimmy's outstats quite a bit. 7.5 million then, uh, fixture-proof potentially. You know, those easy games, even though they've got a poor record, you might as well leave them in. Like, it'd be madness to remove a player because they've got an easy game, right? That must earn some consideration on our sides going forward. Oh, my God. I think that's it, Nick. I, th- I think we've done all 20 teams and got through probably about 20,000 words of notes, haven't we, during this time? Let's finish this off then for a couple of bits of housekeeping. So we had a great time at Scout Camp this weekend, meeting lots of people. Uh, some people, uh, seeing them again, uh, you know, we see them kind of once every year, the likes of Az, the likes of uh, Andy, uh, who's great to catch up with. But also fantastic to meet the likes of FPL Nymphria and uh, Holly, uh, fans of football community. And I'll also be taking part in a shoot for official FPL on Thursday, which will be uh, very interesting. Uh, we'll see. Hopefully it won't be too cringeworthy. Also, we're, we're about in the media, aren't we, Nick? We, uh, we've recently um, started working with Johnny Borrows and Ewan Thomas at Love Sport Radio, and we're, we're doing a regular kind of Friday slot with them. I did the first one this week, and you're doing the next one uh, uh, this Friday, I believe. Yeah, I'll be on the radio uh, with uh, Johnny and Ewan. Looking forward to it on Friday uh, to talk about FPL. So uh, if you listen to uh, Love Sport, by all means... Uh, Give it a listen um, around 6pm. Pretty busy week for me this week, so I'll also be doing um, sort of a podcast um, with a fig Football Index guide uh, talking about Football Index. Um, also probably talking about FPL whilst I'm on there. Um, so I'm looking forward to that as well. Something that I play as well as FPL, so I'm looking forward to that as well. Cool. And uh, speaking of uh, finance, um, I was interviewed by the Financial Times today. Very, very weird. What's happened about linking investing behaviour with fantasy football? So it'd be very interesting to see uh, what what that article ends up being like. And if I prattled on too long, don't think I swore too much or made any drug references, but um, who knows? I think that article will come out next Wednesday. Right, let's uh, let's round off this pod then. Do you want to do the honours? Just say, of course, for who got the assist, you know where to find us online, um, whogottheassist.com. If you want to join our league, the league code for our main league is EIKX03. 
And for our zombie league, which is no chips, no transfers, set and forget, dead team, get in touch with your significant others or unspecified family members to set something up. The league code is EJOS45. There's a theme every week. It was Monty Python last week. Some of the references, I'm sure, will be very familiar. Of course, if you want to find us on Twitter, I'm at WGCA underscore FBL and Nick's at WGCA underscore Nick. We'll be back next week with our final pre-season podcast. I'm very, very glad it's almost over. I can't wait until the actual football starts. I guess we'll be uh, previewing our teams a little bit, talking about the uh, effective ownership and uh, perhaps a little idea that we've got there and having a look at past game week ones to see if there's any sort of edge that we can read into that. I really, really hope this was of use to you guys. Uh, we put a lot of work into these. All of the supporters are massively appreciated by both Nick and I. In the meantime, I hope to assist you and we'll speak to you soon. Goodbye. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.